Super Happy with the Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fingers Audio, my guest on this edition of Fingers Audio, making one of his regular appearances on the program. It's one of his regular appearances. He's a lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest and on this edition of the program. As he does in each of his appearances, what Eric Longenhagen does here is endeavor to analyze all prospects, as is his want. W-O-N-T. Want, not as want, W-A-N-T, although perhaps it's that too. It's not my decision. And what follows, we discuss the 18-year-old right-hander in the Cleveland system who's better than any prep pitcher eligible for the 2019 draft. Already better than any prep pitcher available for the 2019 draft. Belongs to Cleveland for the moment. What went right and what went less right in Longenhagen's assessment of Matt Chapman when the latter was a prospect? Chapman, of course, has put up a five-win season, maybe something like a five-win season this year in Oakland. Not necessarily something Longenhagen saw coming. Hint, or something more than a hint, Chapman's 80-grade defense at third base has a lot to do with it. And also why the present value of basically any prep hitter's bat is represented as either a 20 or a 25 uh, in terms of present value at Fangraphs. Why that's how Eric Longenhagen and Kyle McDaniel have chosen to represent prep hitters' bats at Fangraphs.com. Finally, I ask, uh, I ask Eric Longenhagen uh, what, uh, what might be a challenging question. I say, uh, if Fangraphs Audio weren't a podcast, but rather a painting, what kind of painting would it be? There's not a whole lot of stuff to look at. It's just kind of brown. Painful. Longenhagen, painful. We will get to that conversation with Eric Longenhagen momentarily, but first, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in that site and for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly reasonable, but slightly, <laughs> slightly reasonable. It's slightly reasonable. Readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Advertising is both tyrannical and distortive, uh, if you were not aware. That's what all the latest research suggests. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available only at Fangraphs.com, by going to that URL and then clicking around a little bit, just a little bit of your time, and such an enormous return on that particular investment. With that advertisement not complete, let us move to our conversation. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does the feature lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs? Eric Longenagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Yes. Where have you been going recently? When's the last time we talked? Did we do like an area codes? We didn't do like oh. a post area code pod, did we? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I talked to you at one point. We, we've we spoken, uh, but did, was it recorded? No, I don't know if anyone... Well, I recorded for my own private use. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good idea. I'll look at it later. Yeah. Who knows what these... Who knows what sort of value this might have in the future? No. I don't know. I don't know that uh, you did. You you attended two showcases within a short amount of time. Doesn't that, yeah. happen, that happen? Yeah, I went to Long Beach for Area Code Games, and then I went to San Diego for a perfect game, All American like showcase, which is really mm-hmm. just like an All Star game with a scrimmage a couple days before. Now, here's a question: mm. uh, Did any of the same kids attend both? Oh yeah. Hold on, I have the roster. You don't. You don't have to. I mean, 
it's pretty convenient for everyone who was rostered for both. Like you have to be invited to each of them. And obviously the perfect game event is just two teams playing a single game in Petco Park. So that's like a pretty, pretty big deal. So there's like, um, there aren't many kids that are at both because the second event has like just so few kids. Yeah. But because of the scheduling this year, they're normally like a week and a half, two weeks apart. And you go and do area codes for three to five days. And then I'd like come back home to Arizona for like a couple weeks and then go to San Diego. But this year there was just one big trip because they were stacked one right after the other. And that made it easier for, I think, area codes to get some of the kids from the Southeast. Last year's, like 2017, area code Southeast team was not as, it didn't have as many of like the high-end guys as this year's did, I think, because for the kids like in Georgia and Florida, the trip to Long Beach and then another trip to San Diego, like that's a lot. Yeah. But with one trip, it was better, so... The scheduling was good this year. It was good. Did, did they do that? Uh, was that a concerted effort? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. No. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Some of the other area code stuff was different this year. It was not open to the public this year. Mm. It was just scouts, media, which is like a very small amount of the people in attendance there are media and uh, agents and friends and family, which I suppose you could, you know, if you really wanted to, you could, you know, walk up to the ticket booth and be like, hey, I'm friends with, you know, whatever player that you don't actually know. And I don't know how they'd have some way of knowing that. But yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty limited. They changed some stuff. You're part of the media though, Eric. Right. Yeah. But uh, like they, some of the, we had to sign a thing, like you couldn't have any unmanned tripods this year. Like you couldn't set up a tripod down the line if you were a media member and just let it like roll. Because Area Code Games tries to sell, they sell their video. So like if I'm putting perfect, complete video of the area code games online, it kind of makes that not a like a thing they can do. So uh, like there were just a lot of changes to the structure of the event. The games were seven innings this year, and they they really tightened the schedule up so that there were there were some nights the last few years where you know it's like you get to the ballpark at eight for for BP on like the second day. And then you're still at the ballpark at like 10 p.m. because kids had trouble throwing strikes that day. And so with like seven inning games and they when games were kind of out of hand, they would just whack the last half inning. Uh, we wouldn't play it. Uh, like they they did a good job keeping the schedule tight and stuff this year. I think that they're they've made concerted efforts to change it. It's just one of those things that's evolving and improving. And probably because the scouts, you know, run a huge portion of the event, like it's pretty easy to tell for scouts to be like, hey, this is what we'd like it to be, and it to be fixed pretty quickly. It's the same people who have those desires are fixing it. So Yeah. What classes are we talking about here? Is this Do we have 2019 kids here? The Area Code Games was all almost all as it is. It's just like mostly 2019s for the very next year's draft, next year's high school graduating class. But there are a select number of 2020 graduates as well. Those guys' track records are pretty good. That's like, you know... Bryce Terang and I think I want to say Xavier Edwards was on the Southeast team as a, an underclassman too. I mean, I can like look all this stuff up, but this year we had a couple 2020s. One of them is from up your way. Trajan Fletcher is a Vanderbilt commit from Maine. He's a Trajan Fletcher? Yeah. That's a, I sent you his name months ago, I believe, because I think he's pretty close to you in Maine. Yeah, do you think I ignored it? So yeah, this is like a 2020 kid. He's like very physical, 6'2", 6'3", 200-pound outfielder with like power plus runner underway but yeah so there were there were a handful of 2020s uh, but mostly 2019s 
oh, it's yeah. pretty interesting because then I got spit right back out from watching next year's draft class back into the AZL. And so, like, last night there was – I was in, at an AZL game that was actually a really interesting AZL game. And there was an 18-year-old righty named Carlos Vargas who pitches for Cleveland uh, who was, like, better than any of the high school kids – that I've seen the last several weeks, <laughs> like by a huge margin. How old is he? He's 18. Right. Hold on. Let me pull up the box score and stuff from last night. Oh, that's right. Are you pulling up your var- Are you pulling up your file? I have. Yeah. I've got video from last night that I have to post online, but okay. So the, the, the high schooler with the best present stuff that I saw over the summer was Daniel Espino. And I'm pretty sure that this is what Kylie would say as well. Daniel Espino is a high school righty from Georgia over the course of the summer for me. Fastball ranged anywhere from 94 to 99. He's got two plus breaking balls right now. The changeup is below average. The command is also below, but not so bad that you're like, eh, I'm like really out on this kid as a starter. Like you're not, it's not that bad. But the delivery is sort of weird. You have to reconcile the delivery. In talking to like scouts and front office people who have seen this year's dra- this next year's draft class, like high school righties in general, people are just kind of souring on the demo all around. So, do you sense that there's a change in talent, or it's a change in understanding of how that sort of player will or will not benefit an organization? It's just fear of their attrition rate. Yeah, they go away sometimes. It's just a risk. It's a risk aversion. So, and I think it's I think that sentiment is pretty widespread. But anyway. So the kid with the best stuff from the high school class is like 94.99 with, you know, two plus breaking balls that he'll show and the delivery is not great. And then the guy I saw last night, Carlos Vargas was 93 to 99 touch 100 plus plus slider anywhere from it's like a Noah Sundergaard slider 9093 with better vertical action on it than like most of these hard cuttery sliders. This is a wipeout vertical slider. There was one, it was in his second inning of work last night, where the hitter bailed out on one of these like 92 mile an hour sliders because he thought it was going to hit him and then it dove back into the strike zone for a called strike. And then the guy's next two swings were terrible, which was hilarious. But like, so this is, this is maybe the best stuff wise, like the best 18 year old on the planet that I saw last night. Yeah. I've seen him before and he's been like 94, 96. Uh, and has had trouble throwing strikes uh, when I've seen him. But he threw strikes last night, and, like, this is... You could see how... I saw, I don't know, I think I've seen, like, 10 innings from this guy this summer, and last night was, I think, he threw, like, four innings. And I wasn't even there specifically to see him. I was there to see the guy who pitched before him, Ethan Hankins, who was one of Cleveland's first-rounders. And it just happened to also be Vargas's day. And, like, he was preposterously good last night. And it's just – I think it kind of speaks to the – it's just interesting to – you get to kind of compare apples to apples just based on where these guys are all at developmentally because they're all kind of at the same place, the high schoolers and some of the Latin American of age, yeah. prospects in the AZL. And it's just clear – it's just easier to see which ones are better. But, like, the profile is going to be on these draft prospects, you know, because Daniel Espino has pitched on national television – and throw 99 miles an hour in a big league stadium on national television. And Carlos Vargas threw in front of, like, <laughs> three, like you, three right? players' girlfriends and parents last night. Like, that's it. But this is the better guy. What do you get for attendance at, a, at an Arizona League game? Last night, there were, it was me, 
Bill Mitchell from Baseball America. Okay, wait. When you start off like naming the individual <laughs> people in attendance, it's already you've already mostly answered the question. But no, I, I'm interested in this experiment. Continue. Yes, it was like me, Bill Mitchell from Baseball America, and the the photographer Bill Mitchell who writes like features for BA and does a couple of their prospect lists. Uh, he has had. The last three years, Bill's one of my good friends. Like he, he and I carpool a lot. We live one mile from, uh, from an, uh, one another. He's a really great guy. Baseball America has given him to do over the last couple of years. They gave him the Angels terrible farm system year, like to do for their the top thirty in the handbook. And then last year he had Seattle and Kansas City, who they ranked as the last, the worst two farm systems in baseball. So like he is had to dig for 30 names like each of the last several years to write his handbook assignment. So Bill was there last night and I think there were one, two, three, four scouts, a couple people's parents and that's it. I want to say so there were like you're suggesting five that there or was six not, parents. There was not one person what, in the greater Phoenix area who came to this game of his or her own volition. There was an autograph seeker there who came with uh, Lenny Torres cards and Lenny was like back behind like standing with us with like the scouts behind the uh, home plate like people were charting the game and scoring the game and stuff through the area that uh, we were all concentrated in but other than that yeah like there wasn't just someone who showed up to watch an Arizona League baseball game last night it almost never happens there's like it's I don't know it's weird it's weird it's just one of these things that no there's not really a culture to it because there aren't enough people there. So it's not like you can say that it's this underground thing. Like there's not even that. <laughs> what? Here's a couple, uh, two more questions. One is, are these played in the backfields or is this actually you know, like in the proper stadium at the, at the complex down there? It depends on the team. Some of the teams play in the stadium and some of them do not. The reasons for why teams do and do not play in the stadium vary some of it can just be the quality of the lights. Some of the teams want to play on the backfield because they don't want to damage the field in the big league stadium, which is kind of ridiculous Like that there are these really beautiful spring training stadiums all over Arizona that just aren't being used like for all but two months of the year. It's really kind of gross. But I think most teams would prefer not to use the stadium. The operational costs, I think, are just higher, uh, mm. and you have to manicure the field more. But some of them are forced to because of the quality of the lighting on the backfield is not good enough to play uh, night games, really. Okay. So the Angels are like that. The – I think – who else? But like um, the Dodgers and White Sox play on backfields. Oakland plays on the backfield. Milwaukee's playing on the backfields this year because the stadium is being renovated, but they're normally in the stadium. That was actually the case for the Giants too uh, earlier in the year, but they started playing in the stadium later like it's and kind what of was weird. this this was cleveland who where was this this was at the cubs facility the cubs have two azl teams one plays in the stadium and one plays on one of the backfields last night was on the backfield right. so uh, are those is it essentially like an a and a b team is that the idea there's not they don't tier them explicitly they don't like say varsity and jv last night i watched indians two which is in my opinion the more talented team Huh. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Indians won. They're good. But you too, say though. one of you say one of the Cubs teams plays in the backfields, though. Yeah. So one of the Cubs. Yes. So it would seem as though that I, if you were if you had your druthers as a player, you'd probably play in the stadium, right? The air in the Cubs stadium in Sloan Park does not move super well. Hmm. Uh, so I find scouting 
on the backfield more enjoyable. There's like air movement. It's just not as it doesn't suck to stand and sit and like sweat through your pants and uh, <laughs> like when you're sitting in in the stadium. So like I prefer the backfield and I but I don't I don't know. I can't speak for the players. I know that developmentally there are some orgs who are like let them play in the stadium. We want the atmosphere to be you know their teams teams have an issue with the lack of atmosphere in these ACL games. They think it's like bad for development and like kids playing like enjoying playing you know they'd rather it be a competitive vibrant atmosphere and it's just really not what are the other rookie level leagues uh it's like the appy league the new york pen league oh yeah the northwest league the pioneer league these are all short season leagues or advanced rookie leagues and the distinction between them is very small i kind of view them all in the same way to be honest with you like the the Reds have an affiliate in the Pioneer League in Billings, Montana. They have an Appalachian League affiliate in Greenville, Kentucky, uh, or wherever. I don't even know what state it's in, to be honest with you. It might be in West Virginia, but I don't know. <laughs> it's in Appalachia, which is just, in my opinion, like a, a region that is not – it just crosses state lines, but it is, like, more important to describe it as a region. Right. I also don't know. We had, I had terrible uh, civics teachers. But – um. Filled out a lot of maps. Didn't really retain any of it. <laughs> What's Fill the capital of Bulgaria? No geography. Yeah. You know what thanks. the capital of Bulgaria is? No. It's Sofia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through all the EU nations with my wife recently. Yeah. Looked at some EU nations and their capitals. Estonia EU is an EU nation. Okay. I saw I Danny Holton pitch last night. <laughs> Whoa. For which club? For the Cubs. Oh. What is Danny Holton doing? This is, of course, he's uh, topping out at 90 and pitching pick. one inning stints as a 28 year old in the AZL. Trying. He's 28 already. He's 28. Right? Hmm. He, t- he topped 90 last night. What, what was he? What was he hitting at his uh, prime? I guess or his best years. Like sit 90-94, touch a five, then like 88-92 later. Yeah, man. Hmm. Carlos Vargas last night, four and a third, nine Ks. <laughs> He was 93 to 99. He touched 100 on the one scout's gun. It's a seven slider. Oh, my God. But everyone, you know, the scouts were there last night to see Ethan Hankins, who was 93, 97, with a four breaking ball. Two two separate four breaking balls. Danny Holton, what else happened last night? We had a, the benches cleared last night. It seems like it requires a lot of energy. Last night was nice. We had storms in the area, but they never... It drizzled. It kind of like spit a little bit while we were at the game, but it never rained hard enough for them to stop play. And it was blustery and kind of cool outside. It was a really nice night to watch baseball. Let me, let me wait. I have another. I have two other questions for you. One is the ticket office open? The ticket office? Yeah. Is there like no? You box just up? walk up. You can bring beer and food and whatever you want. Well, that sounds great. Here's another one. Is There's there a concession to sit? stand? Is there no, a concession stand? No. No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had, you know, a guy asked leagues... us where the porta potty was last night, like where to go to the bathroom. Like that's not obvious either when you're on the backfield. Should it be obvious? Is it in the woods? <laughs> I saw a dude next to Petco Park dig a ditch between Petco and the light rail. He dug a ditch and pooped in the ditch. <laughs> like I was just walking on the sidewalk toward the where I had to enter to for media. And, like, I couldn't, you know, this guy was just in, like, adjacent to my bath, pooping in a ditch that he d- he dug. So, no, I uh, guess it's not obvious anywhere. 
Well, what's the obvious answer then? Leaned against the offense. Have you ever? When was I should know? Let me. Think about this. <laughs> when, when was the last I time? I know that you. Were, when's the last time I? You were forced to to, uh, you know, to to perform some grunt work at a baseball stadium. Like in a stadium? I don't know. Not necessarily at a stadium, but one of these events, like this. Uh... Is it a frequent occurrence? Is what I'm curious about. No, I mean no. It's I. Sh- it should probably be more frequent than it is. Like, what? Where do the players there are go? When I'm there, not are there, is there no no arrangement for them? For what? For the players? No, like the players know where to go. It's just like it's just funny that it's not obvious. Like they're you know the scout. If there's a scout tower on a quad, like that typically has a bathroom in it. Yeah, right. And there, yeah, there are places. It's just not like in a stadium. It's obvious where to go. Right. But not like at Peco Park when you can't get in, you know, because you're a bum. <laughs> Is that not the proper? <laughs> a lot of decisions to make at that point. <clears throat> to no concessions, then no. You have to no limit tickets. viewership, right? Like, so it just happened that you know he decided one viewer was well, okay, one, Fine. one's not so bad, and it's I happen you. to be the one guy. Yeah, yeah, it's you too. It's not not a real person. <laughs> it's, uh, what, here's another question what do you bring a this chair this guy's not brave enough to confront me about this so <laughs> even you bring I a chair like... you get some sort of chair no I just stand the I whole just time stand. yeah hmm. yeah if it's a, if it's not at a stadium I just stand it's a weird event you're describing because I've been to for example uh, where did I go it must have been the what's the Pioneer League Who's got who's got teams who's got teams in Montana and yeah that's Utah Pioneer League, Pioneer yeah. League. Ogden Billings Missoula Missoula yeah the Missoula Osprey sure and I went I went to games now I think actually the Missoula Osprey have a decent park now they had they were using like a Legion field uh, or essentially before that that's when I would go and that was all that also it was reasonably well attended. And it was fine. You could get food and drinks, and it was obvious where you would where you would go to the bathroom. I mean, Dirk's Bentley played there, <laughs> to give you an idea of what okay. kind of venue this is. Yeah, I've seen those stadiums. I've never been to a game there, but I see you know they're very they have picturesque like landscapes Skyline. out. Yeah, by, yeah, it's very so like I see a lot of pictures, and I can see yeah they're like their stadiums. They are affiliates. I think that's part of why this season, especially. Some of the first round, like high school picks, were pushed pretty quickly to an affiliate, like Jordan Adams, the raw two sport high schooler that the Angels took in the first round. I was surprised from a technical level that they pushed him to the Pioneer League after a couple weeks in the AZL. He's pretty raw, but they did it. And I think that what it's what the AZL is being used for more heavily now is cultural assimilation for Latin American players is like. Mm-hmm. The priority of the play, like the players that are here, this is what it's for, is that it's sort of. And I think for some teams it's always been this, but now especially I think it's uh, more widespread. It's like this is where you know these kids can assimilate into the culture a little bit, and like we'll keep them all here and interacting together. And the environment prioritizes uh, just general education, uh, like finances and stuff language for all the kids with the better programs what else were scouts telling me about last night dietary stuff is improving too there are like just some minor league teams just have team chefs and stuff now which is good yeah so i would like to know more about that do do more work on that okay that's interesting to me here's a question 
to what degree if you if you were a native Spanish speaker and your choice was to only speak Spanish, could you more or less get by in in Phoenix area? Uh yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm yeah. just curious. You watched... probably have some un, like unfortunate ex- interactions with racist people. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh and you know there are there are people in Arizona who have a problem with that and like uh in the our public education system here the kids aren't allowed to use Spanish in some of the schools. But yeah, you could realistically yeah, you could just speak Spanish if you lived here and That's interesting cuz I yeah um uh, last night I watched a broadcast of a game between um, the Houston Dynamo and FC Dallas soccer teams and MLS. Really? Yeah. Why are you saying it like that? What are you doing? No, you're free to enjoy soccer. <laughs> oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've just been super excited about like big league baseball lately but continue so houston the houston dynamo and the yeah yeah dallas but any this is the point though i watched a spanish language broadcast because uh my various uh permissions for television do not allow me to watch an english version <laughs> and uh i uh you know there's like a sideline reporter for unamas i think it was a broadcast in unamas which is a i think it's a spanish language network based in the united states but like they had like a sideline reporter and the sideline reporter was conducting all of his interviews in Spanish exclusively with people who were speaking Spanish exclusively. And this is in uh, – well, I forget if the game was in Houston or, or Dallas, but that's kind of immaterial. They're both major cities in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I, at first, you know, I've watched broadcasts on that channel before, but I realized this is this was in the United States. And it was they were able to sort of manage – put together an entirely Spanish-language broadcast. So I was curious to uh I mean it does make sense I suppose that if you're if your goal as an orga- as a major league organization is to help native Spanish speakers feel more comfortable bringing them to a place where they could still be somewhat functional in their native language would not be an unreasonable way of going about that right and I guess you know what I mean all the complexes are either in Arizona or Florida and you know what besides California they must they probably have the highest uh, populations of native Spanish speakers, right? I mean, Texas as well. But. Right. I don't know what how Florida is set up uh, where, like, there are pockets of uh, neighborhoods where everyone speaks Spanish. I know in Phoenix that, like, if everyone is – like, they're just bilingual people spread throughout the entire valley and that there are pockets of, like, um, like big, big Mexican neighborhoods, like, here in Tempe and stuff, like, uh, where you can – yeah, like, there's – Everything you need is in this town and where everyone is like a native Spanish speaker. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I may be good. I mean, obviously, like one of the, you know, sort of like foundational principles of language learning is that immersion is ideal. So that would be maybe one argument against it if your goal as an organization were to help the right. help players learn English. But uh, I guess you'd have to balance that against comfort because they're not in – they're not there necessarily to learn English as expediently as possible. Their their main function is to play baseball, and becoming comfortable with the language is you know not entirely tangential to that, but it's a different it's a different outcome. You can't serve both those masters sim- simultaneously. Do you think there's a time when you're past the point where you can learn a new language? Uh, I mean, I can only recite to you like my my secondhand understanding of studies that may or may not exist. But I'm pretty sure I, I heard something about it on the radio. Okay. I don't know. I mean, or or I guess my own experiences. 
I think it's probably not quite as easy. I think aren't children really good at learning languages? Yeah, I know in California, especially there are many like Spanish immersion schools where the where English speaking students go to speak Spanish all day and they do all their learning in Spanish, not just learning Spanish, but like they have math class and the teacher is speaking Spanish. And like, yeah, I think that they're, you know, 12 and 13 year old kids who are fluent in like multiple languages who go to schools like that. But I like, I wonder, I just feel like I doubt that if I went to the Dominican Republic for a year and just lived there, like, I just don't feel like I'd come home fluent in Spanish. No, I think it's, I think it's how one time I think I could have. I, bl- I think it's a question of, of motivation, right? Like if you need to know – if you need to go to the bathroom, you probably learn the language for – the word for bathroom really quickly, right? Right. Yeah. Baño. Puedo <laughs> ir al baño. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I know it now and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's uh, – you know, even in places where I never had – a prayer of knowing anything about the language, like visiting Croatia, always learn. Yeah, bathroom. Thank you. Uh, and then, fromage. and then, huh? Huh? Fromage. Omelet du fromage. Yeah. Yeah, and that one. Yeah. And and uh and sorry, you got to learn how to apologize in a language. Yeah, that's essential. Okay, wait. So, Gulf Coast League. Do people go to Gulf Coast League games? I've only been to a handful of GCL games. They take place during the day. They're 12.30 p.m. starts, hmm. uh, mostly. And all the AZL games, except for a few exceptions, and there have been more of these this, this year than in the past, are night games, which changed several years ago. This was another topic of discussion at the field last night was there were kids in the AZL like passing out of the field because it was so hot. And they're like, eh, let's move these to, to 7 p.m. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, GCL games, the few that I've been to, the the attendance is similarly meager. Okay. And if you if you are, like, if prospects interest you and you live in Arizona, 15 minutes before, if you, like, live in the East Valley, 15 minutes before games start, you can look at the lineups and see, oh, these three guys are in the AZL D-backs lineup tonight. I will get in my car right now and drive to Salt River Field and, like, get there either before, you know, the first or second inning is over, like you're there and seeing Christian Robinson or like rehabbing big leaguers. Uh, you know, you can see that, you know, Julio Urias is rehabbing, like go to the ballpark and get there in time to see that guy play. And in Florida, even if you are that level of like interested in this sort of stuff, uh, that's not really possible just because it's too spread out. It's several hours between spring training complexes here from the surprise to Mesa is like the furthest distance between the two. Uh, between two, any two complexes, and it's like 45 minutes without traffic, you know, on your way home from a game at mm-hmm. 10 at night from an AZL game. So it's just, this is the place, if you really want to watch baseball, like, you can really do it here. Like, really, really, really. So the GCL, you think, it, the GCL more or less, though, is the Florida equivalent of the Arizona League. Right. From, like, a play quality and developmental standpoint, yes, that is what it is. But And also a uh, total absence of fan experience, it sounds like. Yes. None. None. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But you could still go to Arizona League games, as you've noted. Mm-hmm. They're and all you can... free. They're all open to the public. Sometimes it's hard to find where, even on the spring training complexes, they are at. Right. Some of them take place off-site a little bit, like Oakland's minor league complex is 
a little distance from like you can walk down the stairs at the Angels Spring Training Stadium and see the backfields, but Oakland's are like a few blocks away from the stadium. It's not like obvious where they are. And the same thing with the Giants. So sometimes it can just be hard to find. But in yeah. response in response to an earlier question or, or consideration, Greenville is in Tennessee. Okay. Greenville, Tennessee. There are a lot of Greenvilles in my defense. Greenville is is part of... I bet there's Greenville, Kentucky. What is, is, I guess, technically the rookie advanced leagues, right? That's the Appalachian League, and then there's the the Pioneer League as well. Northwest and Pio, yeah. Right. Um, Northwest. And then New York Penn, New York Penn League as well. Yeah, those are... New York Penn, I guess, is more considered like short season, not Mm -hmm. advanced rookie. They just call it like short season. I don't know. But these are designed for people to attend. Yeah. These games. The state college spikes of the New York Penn League play in a stadium. They play in Penn State's baseball stadium. And the Williamsport Crosscutters have their own stadium. Yeah, I can tell you uh, the little little spinners, uh, the Red Sox uh, New York Penn League team, certainly uh, have their own place. And the Brooklyn Cyclones have like a a legitimate stadium in whatever that is. What's it called? The places with the – it's called the roller coasters. You can get uh, like um, Coney Island. Get herpes there. Yeah, there you go. Coney, Coney Island. Coney Island. Yeah, yeah. Those are real places. Staten <laughs> Island Yankees. Somewhere. We've been to. Yeah, someone told me last night that like yeah, my favorite. Some of my favorite places to scout are the New York Penn League stadiums. Staten Island, Brooklyn. We marked about Beacon, New York, which I think is has a nice little downtown where you can Beacon, New York. Eat pretty well, and yeah. Who plays in Beacon, New York? The Hudson Valley Renegades, the Tampa Bay Rays. New York Penn League affiliate, which is where I went to see Lenny Torres before he was drafted because he went to high school there and his senior night game was at the Hudson Valley Renegades Stadium. Now, wait a second. What's the difference between Beacon, New York and Wappingers Falls? I don't know. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because the official address of the stadium is, or of the park is Wappingers Falls. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's just like on the outskirts of Beacon then. I mean, I drove on one very, very slow moving road from the stadium to downtown Beacon to like hang out and do some work and get something to eat. Just south of Poughkeepsie, it looks like. Yep. Well, yeah, look at that. What do they play? Messier Park? No, No, I don't think that's what it's called. (laughs) Mark Messier? Are you making a Mark Messier joke? Named after Mark Messier, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't have anything to do with the team. It's just big fan. They got a big fan over there. used to be such a, a larger part of I feel like sports lore and culture like you just used to see Mark Messier joyfully hoisting the cup in sports like b-roll like highlight whatever like the majesty of sports stuff like you used to see that moment a lot it just sort of has gone away this Wappingers Falls is a delightful I don't know I don't necessarily know how well utilized these properties are in fact some of them appear to be boarded up but the uh great old uh, architecture in here a lot Do of you brick. think the length of like modern sports culture on television and stuff, like I guess from the 60s on, mm-hmm. is at a, a length now where each individual athlete's accomplishments are being diluted such that we are not, we don't like recognize the same level of accomplishment as much as we used to because there are so many people who have achieved that level of accomplishment now. Okay, I think I understand what you're saying. So like, for instance, if you were going to, if you were to do it, if you were to quantify it, you know, this player generated X amount of war and he was maybe one of 50 players to do it between, uh, you know, 1960 and 1995 or whatever. And now since then, there have been so many other players that have done that, that like that accomplishment doesn't ring as 
notable anymore. It might. I mean, if you were going to go think of some actual examples here. Well, here, here's a, here's an example. Are you familiar at all with the uh, the life and times of Dazzy Vance? I know whose name that like a that's a name I know, but I don't. So this might prove really your point to some degree. I mean, Dazzy Vance is absolutely like unquestionably the best strikeout pitcher in in Major League history. Like relative to his time, the numbers he put up were are like it would be like the equivalent. What would it be the equivalent of? I don't know the exact mark, but it would be like above a fit. It would be like a starting pitcher striking out half the batters he faced. Like he had seasons, it looks like 1924, 1925, where he was striking out 20% of the batters he saw. And the average strikeout rate in Major League Baseball at that time was 7% strikeout. So he had a 20% strikeout rate, like the same year that the, the league average strikeout rate was 7%. So he struck out roughly three times as many batters as league average. And what's league average now? It's above 20%, right? Yeah. So that would be, I mean, you know, if you're taking it based, you can just use a multiplier. Like, that would, it's the equivalent of, like, 60%. I guess I'm just talking about, like, pop culture, like, 60, from the 1960s on. Give me another, give me a concrete <laughs> example then, because. Well, I understand what you're talking, you're talking about something similar, where, like, statistical accomplishments sort of go away because the player is no longer part of our consciousness. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about. Like, even if you're, let's say that you, for instance, I love NFL films. And so I knew about players from Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, the Packers teams in the 60s, Len Dawson and the Chiefs. Like I knew about Fred Bolitnikoff, people who played because it's all on tape. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now there's so much of that, that like, do you think that in sports that there are just less, like whoever in the NFL is doing what Fred Bolitnikoff did at the time, whether it's Antonio Brown or whatever, like, is that as notable and appreciated as it used to be, like, given that there are more people who are accomplishing all these things now? Well, they're not, they're, but they're not accomplishing them. There's always going to be a similar distribution, right? In terms of how a player, like in terms of what a player does relative to his peers. And isn't that really the question? Right. Contemporarily. Yeah. And then you just remember, I mean, the, and then the stories about the best players are the ones that, that persist, like Fred Bolitnikoff, right? Or, I mean, you know, so if you really feel like... Do you think, okay, so Fred Bolitnikoff played, what was it, 70s Raiders, early 80s Raiders? Yeah. I want to say this about no, what we're trying to do here. and 70s Raiders. This is, a, this is a rough idea that we're attempting to address here. And so this oh, will be... Oh, yeah, I, this is like... Unwieldy. This is, yeah, this is, this is a very... A very primitive thought you're having. Thanks. <laughs> this is a very primitive thought. <laughs> no, the thought. Thanks, pal. You, you, you're, you're attempting to arrive at something more sophisticated, but this is like your first draft is what I'm getting. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. All right. So I don't know now. Now it has just lost total steam. <laughs> what, did, what does Fred Bolitnikoff signify for you? Like there was for what? It, why do I know his name? This is a guy who played between 1965 and 1978. I was born in 88. So the fact that I know about Fred Bolitnikoff signif- like signals to me that what he did was of note. Yeah. And I think whoever's – there's someone now statistically producing, you know, whatever. You can – based on the competitive spectrum of whatever, the way receiving stats are influenced now by the scoring environment. You can adjust it however you want. doesn't matter. Yeah, you can adjust – yeah, right. You adjust it. 
But whoever's doing that now, do you think 40, 50 years from now, a random like 30-year-old person will know that wide receiver's name? Well, I submit to you that they will not. Like there is just so much of this now. I mean, so part of this, there's two two things going on. One of them is the fact that someone wasn't watching you and you were just sitting watching, you were just watching television. Do you know what I mean? You were just a kid watching lots of television (laughs) is kind of one of the things. And you watched ESPN and NFL Films was on ESPN. Did you ever watch the things like the program on like early ESPN 2 where they would somehow contrive to have two two teams from different eras play each other and there was film. Oh my God. Yeah. Didn't the Sklar brothers host this? No, this is before the Scar brothers. Scar, this is, they were pubescent at this point. Oh, that's yeah. right. They like cut together the, the nineties Cowboys and the eighties 49ers playing a game against one another. Roughly. Yeah. It, yeah. It would be like, how, like, how would things oh, I go? I remember this. Yeah. I, and, and here's part. So that, so part of it is just, you're watching too much television. Okay. Right. <laughs> What what should have happened is your parents should have been like, hey, eat this carrot and go outside and don't come back until 5 p.m. Don't come back until dinner's ready. That's parenting, Eric Longenhagen. Go leave the house and don't come back till till dinner. The second thing is this, is that and like we've already just, just we've already, I think, made some reference to this just in the way that children like take appear to take to languages quite easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those memories you form at a certain age, they occupy an outsized portion of your memory, like of your like of your like recall, right? Like those are those are part of who you are as a as a person. Knowing Fred Bolitnikoff has been essential to your Eric Longenhagenness for a long time, and it's uh it's you know inextricably tied up in your personality at this point and your 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 sense of self. Yeah, I mean, so you watch something now, and you say, "Yeah, so what?" Des Bryant or one of the other receivers? Those are the, that's who it. They're all they're all good, but you have so you've seen it a number of times. But at a certain point, there's going to be a, a little Eric Longenhagen, and it's going to be like the first time you hear to someone's name, and he's going to be like, "Randy Moss, he was so good." Probably won't be Fred Bolitnikoff. It probably won't be Bolitnikoff. Yeah. Although the stickum the stickum stuff from this era's Raiders is interesting to talk about, the amount of cheating they were doing. Is Fred Bolitnikoff better than Randy Moss relative to his peers? Oh, that I don't know. I mean, if you're asking me to pick a guy like on a playground, I'm taking Moss. Yeah, because he also <laughs> you was... could probably take Moss over everybody though. Like, right? But he's but yeah. Again, it's always relative to the peers though. No offense, to Jerry Rice, but if we're on a playground, like I'm taking Moss. So wait, let me. So on this playground. Is definitely you and Randy Moss and Jerry Rice is also there. There's something about the precision that like Rice and his quarterbacks had that I'm just talking about like physical talent mm-hmm. that can hide mistakes. Yeah. Like give me Randy Moss. Yeah. Randy Moss. Jerry yeah. Rice had the best career and is like the best, but just as far as physical gifts are concerned. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, I think you have to take Moss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who would you rather throw to? (laughs) I want to throw to Randy Moss. I want to just be like, yeah, I'll just throw this up here. This is, is, we really descended into like, uh, er, sports talk radio. I want to throw to Randy Moss. I guess so. Who do you want to throw to? Who do you want to throw to? 
I'm not throwing to anybody. This is not even, it's not it's even a hypothetical. One, like this is, you're getting to the core of how I watch sports. Which is? Which is like just this purely visual appreciation for physical ability. End yeah. of list. But that's okay, right? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. No one should be forced to do it through that lens. You want to talk about soccer, you said? <laughs> you said disappointed. No, it's okay. <laughs> I have some problems with stuff, I, but, you know. Do you want to? I don't want to trash it. Like, you can like soccer. Yeah, do you understand you trashing it, it not, is it. not going to affect me at all? I know. Yeah. But I'm just curious. I'm just curious because the you said it deflated. It was the, that was the that was what I was interested in. He was like, I'm sorry. "Oh, oh." I've stopped watching everything except for baseball. Saw, really, saw a puppy in there. Well, that's good. You've been watching watch Major League anymore. Baseball recently. I've really been watching a lot of Major League Baseball recently. Yeah, I'm very excited for September. It's gonna happen in September. The play, like the NL playoff pennant races, seven or eight, you know, NL playoff team. Or, a lot of teams. Uh, teams vying for the playoffs. A lot of teams out there. A lot of teams. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And um, I don't know what else is going on. Just the baseball is really good right now. It's really good. I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Do you know that over the last two months? No, sorry. Over the last month, the two players, major leaguers, who've recorded the top four are Ronald Acuna, number two, and number one, Matt Chapman. Ugh. I suppose what's interesting about them is that they were both... Uh, they were both prospects in the not very distant past. I mean, Acuna, obviously, quite recently. But Chapman, uh, I think, what, he got a mid-season call-up last year. Chapman was probably the guy who I was, like, lowest on, who I should not have been. Mm -hmm. One of those things, like, where it's like, yeah, I was, like, way too low on this guy. Why do you think you were... I thought it was... I had a six on the glove, not an eight, right? Mm -hmm. Should have been an eight. And I just didn't... I was concerned that he was not going to get to the power. That the bat was... Like it was a four bat that really hamstrung how much power he got to. But he's getting to it. He's slugging 500 and he's an eight defender with an approach, you know, above average approach, play discipline. So, so yeah, he was, in essence, I thought like Pedro Feliz's best years was going to be like what this guy was every year. Mm. 25 bombs, but doesn't really hit and plays good defense, but not this kind of defense. But it's this kind of defense, and he's getting to all that power. So he probably should have been, I mean, clearly he should have been like a 6 or a 7, and I had a 5 on him, like a soft 5. So that's not correct. Uh, and then Acuna, we we nailed Acuna. But like yeah. that was so obvious. We both, Kylie had the benefit of wa literally watching him become Ronald Acuna while he was working for the Braves. And I had, I saw him, his first instructional league and was like, okay, yes, this is like, you know, an Adam Jones starter kit. And then last fall when he, I saw him for six weeks in fall league and he was like clearly the most talented guy here by a huge margin. Victor Robles was the only guy who was close. And really, if you like Robles, it's because of the polish and like the baseball instincts, which are beautiful to watch. But Acuna was like, clearly this is the best guy. It's not remotely close. And so I got to see that for six weeks and just be like... Yes, this is what it looks like when, you know, you got like a five-war center fielder uh, and then eventually, you know, a five-war left or right fielder. Do you know that and Chapman, obvious. Chapman, as minor leaguer, put up no fewer than two seasons in which he struck out roughly 30% of the time. He right. also, last year, amidst what was a strong half season with Oakland, struck out nearly 30% of the time. But he's reduced that mark pretty considerably. He's down to 23% right now. 
And right, also, and this is another thing that I just again, this is I was concerned about the strikeouts in the minors. Yeah, but how do you? That seems to me one of the most complicated things to project is any sort of improvements in contact. You know, especially with the juice ball and emphasis on getting the ball in the air. I think it's not surprising at this point when players exhibit like kind of bizarre upticks in power. You know, right? But I still don't. I don't totally get the machinations which must occur for a player to begin making substantively more like contact. I agree with you in general that I think it's really hard to identify players who are going to have improved rates of contact. Hmm. I know it's not a thing that I, it's like not a note I'm writing, you know, constantly like, Oh, I think that this guy's bat will develop into this. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from front office folks about the way we write up like tool grades and stuff is that we project too hard on tool grades, but ultimately like the twenties and 25s that we have on guys when they're on our draft board are just are purely communicative. They're not like explicit. We think this guy would be a deuce bat if he were in the big leagues today. It's just to say this is a raw or neutral high school bat, a 20, or this is an advanced high school bat, a 25. And that's purely what we're saying with like that sort of stuff. But there, but the general feel is that like hit tools are difficult to project in general and that a lot of director-level folks, when they read scouting reports, are uncomfortable with three- and four-grade projection on hit tools. Like, if I have a 20 on a high school hitter's bat and project it to a 60, that will make the director or the cross-checker, like, very uncomfortable and not. And, like, they'll wonder why that's like that. Wait, oh, if you have a 20 present and 60 future? Right. Because what? Because you, so you're projecting lots of improvement in the hit tool. But the way that Kylie and I do it is to – like we think to, to look at a 17-year-old hitter and say, uh, I think in the big leagues right now he'd hit 240, so I'm going to stick a 35 or 40 on the bat. Like right now, present hit tool. Like it seems ridiculous to us to watch a high school hitter on a showcase and say, eh, I think he'd hit X in the big leagues right now. Like that's – to me, that's ludicrous to be able to do that. So I'd rather just say this is a, a polished – like high school bat, like a plus, yeah, like a future 60 or better hitter, really. Like this is an advanced polished high school bat. So I'm going to write 25 so that, because that's what that means with the way I'm communicating this to you. You know what that looks like. But I think it's ridiculous to granularly say this 17 year old is going to hit two, would hit 250 in the big leagues right now or whatever you might say it is. Like to me, that's ridiculous. So it's either a high school, an advanced bat or not. I'm not I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but I'd like to hear you articulate why why projecting a batting average is absurd, but not necessarily projecting power or or defensive capacities. Well, I don't think it's absurd to project a batting average, but it's to look at a 17 year old and say that this is what it would be if you threw him in a big league lineup today, mm-hmm. which is what some teams are looking for on their reports when you put like present grades on the tools. That's what you're supposed to do. And I just, the idea that you can do that, I think is kind of like, there are just better ways to do it. But why is it different than, than looking at home runs or fielding? Oh, like, I think because there's part of the pitcher hitter interaction that is not in the hitter's control. And that's like the quality of the pitching and what it takes to adjust to that from nowhere. Whereas like at shortstop, it's sort of like the idea of playing shortstop is always the same. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah. So there's a there's kind of a controlled variable present there that's not 
in the question of hitting because it's essentially an interaction with the pitcher. I feel like the Padres did a little bit of an experiment last year to see what would happen if you took a, a hitter who was completely unprepared for the major leagues in the form of Alan Cordoba. Yeah, and Luis Torrens too, right? Right, Luis Torrens, right. Yeah. You could argue they did the same thing with Miguel Diaz, although, again, like he just had pretty crazy stuff, and they were just like, yeah, let's try this. So, because Cordoba, right, like had never played above rookie-level ball. Yeah, he was in the Appalachian League and then was Rule 5 pick. And he was Rule 5 pick, and he passed... All of last season, I don't. I mean, I'm. I don't. I forget to what degree they used like the the disabled list or whatever to give him time off. But he played a hundred games, and he hit two oh eight. Right. Which is what is? I mean, what is that on the? What is that on the twenty eighty scale? That's a twenty. That's a twenty. So that one data point actually, <laughs> to some degree, supports your point, <laughs> because this is Alan Cordoba who had the previous season batted in the mid 300s in rookie level ball and the season before that batted in the mid 300s in rookie level ball and was known not necessarily for power on contact but made a lot of contact right and then the experiment was what happens if he plays in the majors and the answer was he put up a 20 not to say that he was the he he probably wasn't the best player at rookie level ball in 2016 was he best hitter i mean yeah he hit really well 360 420 500 pretty crazy Second straight year of uh, adjusted runs created of up around 150. So it was a really strong year, statistically. Yeah. 8% strikeout rate. He had more walks than strikeouts in 2016. Right. So, yeah, it was, yeah. Now was he's at high things. A, striking out 28% of the time and walking 3% of the time. So you could argue they broke him based on, like, his performance thus far. He's also only played 45 games this year, so he's also been hurt. I'm going to say a name, and it's okay if you haven't heard it, but are you familiar with, I believe it's pronounced Mybris Valoria? Yes, it sounds catcher. like the Pixie song. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the catcher in the in the Royal system. Yeah, I saw him this year. You did in Wilmington. Yeah, he had a he had he was a teenager who also had a very good season, um, mm. at a rookie level in the rookie level league in 2016. Pioneer League. Right, and then he moved up. Now he's in he's in High A now, and he's actually he's still hitting decently. His league average, roughly. Yeah, um, but the power the Pioneer League is re- is a really very hitting favorable environment for power. Right. Right. So yeah, there's not a whole lot of power there. Uh, yeah. So I guess it's that's an interesting experiment. Like what, what grade do you put on a high school uh, matter? Could you give a? Could you put a ten on it? No, I don't know. I just think it's this is why I just reject the pre- the premise. So mm-hmm. it's a twenty if it's neutral or raw, and it's a twenty five if it's a premium like polished, advanced, whatever adjective you want to use, high school bat or teenage bat. So like Brian Rocchio is a 17-year-old who's hitting like 330 in the AZL. He's incredible. He's a 25 present bat for me because he's a polished teenage bat. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest gap you've projected between present hitting value for, you know, like a teenager and future value? So let's look at the board. Oh, what are you going to use there? I'm going to use the board. The board. The board one can find uh, by finding the, the drop-down El menu Cablero. under leaders uh, at uh, fangraphs.com. And this is full of all manner of um, scouting grades and other manner of data so, provided by Eric Longenhagen and Kyla McDaniel. All right. So last year's draft 2017, okay. which is when I first started to utilize this system, mm-hmm. Royce Lewis, I had present 25, advanced high school bat. Future 60. 
So there's a you know a 35 whatever gap. Joe Adele, I went 2050. Austin Beck, I went 2045. Nick Prado, I also went 2560, like Lewis. Bubba Thompson, I went 2045. He's probably gonna outdo that now. He's hitting like 300 as a 19 year old who's only committed like been playing baseball regularly for a year. He's hitting like 300 in low A right now as mm-hmm. a 19 year old. And then with the college hitters, it was a little bit different. But yeah, let me see if I had anybody over that i think that's kind of it like i have a lot of 2045s 2040s 20 you know 50s drew waters i went 25 55 what about mickey moniac so you went back a year before oh, I so i'm I did, pretty yeah. sure i had a seven yeah so this was before i started doing that like explicitly and was like and eh, mm-hmm. this is the better way to do it because you can see like i've got a 35 on rutherford i have a 30 present on moniac a 30 present on kirloff like these are the more advanced High school so this is a this is an evolving uh, Gavin Lux tact you're taking. Oh yeah, so it has to yeah it has to be. So the question is, do I remain consistent or do I get better? Like that's essentially the question you have to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the path I've chosen is to just let's just if I think of ways that this could be better, then I'm just going to do it, even if it's like even if it means that I have been inconsistent now. Was it was it uh, wasn't it you who coined the expression "a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds"? Was that uh, you who wrote that? Who did write that? I'm going to say it was Rolled Doll. <laughs> <laughs> hobgoblin. Who else would write Hobgoblin? <laughs> this is how uh, H.P. Lovecraft. Would he write Hobgoblin? What about Lewis Carroll? Yeah, I guess he might as well. No, I can tell you who it is if you want. If you want to know. It was you, Eric Longenhagen. No. <laughs> in a Fight Club-esque turn, you spend your days writing about Prospect, but your nights using 19th century lexicon to uh, to write philosophical What tracks. do you know about the dude who wrote Fight Club? Um, Seems like an interesting... Well, interest, uh No. Seems like a dark, <laughs> somewhat like concerning thing going on there. Do you mean... Good luck pronouncing his last name. No, I know who you mean. You mean Kazimir Pulaski. No. Yeah, Kazimir Pulaski was a Polish nobleman. Is that you're talking about? He wrote Fight Club. We're like way over time at this point. <laughs> yeah. I should go because well, I got an edited, edited piece of uh, by Jay Jaffe. That's Maybe easy. someone else too. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Jay's I got, did that uh, one until you were gone. Jay's got good pros. Yeah, you did a good job. Was it tough working with Dylan Higgins? No. I have to call Dylan about Portland. But that's weird because you wrote, an, you wrote a, a Slack message to me. You said Dylan's the worst. Yes, but he has information I want about Portland. What are you going to do with Portland? Are you going to move there? It's on the it's in the team picture. Okay. But it's not the favorite. No. No. Is Portland Maine the the favorite? No. Why? You're wrong then. Because of proximity to baseball, which is also why Portland Oregon's not the favorite. Oh, yeah. Proximity to baseball. I can tell you I have a list. I have, Jill and I have a spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> Good. You need one. Of places to move. Hold on. Here it is. Is is it one of them the research triangle in North Carolina? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the Raleigh is currently atop the board, and then actually Portland and Eugene is next. Just based on like cost of living, how much Jill makes teaching there, and like right. the quality of the education system, public trans, airport quality, and uh, flights to places that we go a lot. So like it would be here and back to Pennsylvania and to Florida. Those are all relevant. Yeah, those are all real considerations. Yeah. Yeah. Baltimore's on here. Charlotte. Okay. Winston-Salem. Akron-Cleveland. Dark Horse. Okay. 
Then back to Philly. Back to Philly is currently 10th. Boston is the closest to you. It's 11th. Yeah, but you don't want to live in Boston. No, I know. It's just sort of, yeah. 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 Roanoke is like polling 14th. Roanoke. Roanoke. All right. I want to eat lunch. <laughs> Probably. I had done a, at one point a piece of where to live to best see baseball. It's here. Yeah, I'm uh, telling well, you it's here. Quite true. I'm sending it to you via a recording application. Okay. I don't even know what I Click I don't it. even know what I wrote. Oh yeah, I did I forty. See, look, you you use the same Yup. <laughs> You've got it. This is yeah. correct. I, I put a long I forty in North Carolina and then I put the East Valley in Phoenix second. But I I probably didn't take into account like Right, no, like it's, a, it's not flawless. So you have like extended and stuff here. You have AZL, Fall League, Spring Training, Pac-12. Oh yeah. Before I leave here, I will. There will be like a. I will hit the gas on like every game I can possibly see here for a year. Like and just see how many games I can have eyes on over the course yeah. of the calendar year. And then I put the mostly. Well, I put the I put the South Suburbs of Boston on there third. Because you could see double A, short season, triple A, and then you could see Cape Cape League, which Cape is God. important. Yeah. yeah, awesome. That's probably I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong in a number of these. Philadelphia. No, I think you've nailed it. Like these are there's a reason that literally every place on here that you've listed is mentioned. I just mentioned it as places that we're looking at living. Like this is the same research I have done and determined. Yeah. You know, Seattle and Portland are on this list because those are if baseball didn't exist and money weren't a thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the two places that I we would probably pick to live just based on yeah. like climate and nature. Like we like the green and what about the uh, and rain? Did and you stuff. enjoy Denver when you were there? Yeah, in a lot of different ways, Carson. In a lot of different ways, <laughs> more even than people are considering right now as they listen to this. Where did you go to? Even the um, wait, is there minor league baseball there though? Not really. Yeah. yeah, Colorado Springs, but that's not a good place to evaluate anything. No. So, no. Yeah, not great. Also, Denver, uh, sneakily expensive and not great as far as public education is concerned. Not at the forefront of the no. uh, legislation's no priority. No. No. Philadelphia. No. No, I'm wrong. No, no, no. I'm no. I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. I'm oh. like being you. I'm being you for some reason. You got some big decisions to make. Big decisions. But it's okay. not going to be like it'll be. We'll still live in Phoenix Phil- for a couple years. Philadelphia sounds nice. Philly's pretty nice. but yeah, You like that? All those old buildings? Don't you like old buildings, yeah. buddy? Yeah, I like old stuff. I like sh- like the Chicago architecture a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Chicago. Yeah. I have an appreciation for old stuff. Mostly because... Like, Phoenix is built in a way that is very utilitarian. It's a huge suburb, really. And you kind of have to deal with the climate, which I understand. And so things look a certain way that is, like, very canned. And it's, a, you know, it's a lot of strip malls and stuff here. Like, that's what you're look, looking at most of the time. Yeah. And yeah. you walk into them, and, like, there's the restaurants that are in them are sneaky good. The food in Phoenix is really good. Yeah, sure. I can uh, I'll, I'll agree to that. And this place is not devoid of culture. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of stuff to look at. It's just kind of brown. Hey, you fulfilled your obligation to finger study. All right, buddy. Thanks. That has been Eric Longenhagen, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.